welcome to the Respectfully podcast. My name's Nikki Pope, your host for this hairdressing conversation. My guests today are Andrew Barton and Keith Conniford, each work in their own way for the Hair and Barber Council, championing the fight for state registration of hairdressing. Welcome to the Respectfully Podcast Kitchen Conversation. Welcome to Andrew Barton, Patron Hello. of Honour. Hello, Andrew. Patron of Honour at the Hair and Barber Council, Creative Director of Headmasters, Celebrity Hairdresser and General Enthusiast of Hairdressing UK. And welcome to Keith Conniford, Registrar and Acting Chair of the Hair and Barber Council. Hello. Hello. Did I get that right? Uh, well, it doesn't matter. Executive, Executive chair. Executive chair, but sorry. It doesn't really I'm trying not to look at my notes, but <laughs> there we are. So thank you for joining me. Thank you um, for having us. To our listeners, this is our first podcast recording in a couple of years where we are actually sitting around a table together. So hope you enjoy the conversation and forgive the odd bang of the teacup on the, on the, <laughs> the dining table. The tea is table. flowing, the, it's lovely. <laughs> and the plane's going overhead and the dog will start barking, I'm sure. <laughs> but it was really interesting to have you both here to have a conversation about where we are with UK hairdressing in the here and now. So we're talking spring, early summer 2022. We've had the two years pandemic. We have been open now for a while in lots of ways. There's lots of issues, some of which perhaps existed before the pandemic, some not. So I'm just interested to hear, Keith, from your members of the Hair and Barber Council and from your talking in the industry, what are the general, what's the vibe, what's the general issues that people are talking about, either positive or not? Well, you know, we've come out of the pandemic, Nikki, as we all know, and, you know, everybody's suffered, and our industry has certainly, you know, suffered as much, if not more, than some other industries as well. People are very worried, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, the majority of calls or contact we get are people concerned about various aspects, um, not least the cost of living crisis, obviously, which is a huge one yeah. for everybody and the way the bills are escalating, but more the where the industry is going. Yeah. Um, I mean, the rise of the independents is huge. Uh, just to give you some quick stats, um, on average, we're looking at roughly 67% of the sector now is freelance, independent, mobile, whatever you like to call them. Um, in some parts of the country, it's even higher. For example, in eastern England, Suffolk area, it's 83%. Wow. That's, that's how it's going. So there's a huge con- lot of concern for that. Um, people, obviously, the, the, you've heard about the, the uh, trying to get the, the VAT situation yeah. changed, which yeah. is enormous for, uh, for hairdressers and salons, which you know plays into the independence again, because obviously they're not caught up in that. And I'm not anti-independence, and I don't want you to think I am, because providing they've been trained, they're qualified, and they run in proper businesses, I totally support them. There's a huge underground market as well, so yeah. there's some big issues with that. People are very worried about an awful lot of things within the industry. Um, you know, who's going to train the apprentices well, in the exactly future? Well, the future of the industry. Andrew, both with your work with the Hair and Barber Council, but also running businesses running salons what would you add into that melting pot of things we can talk about well I'm, I'm going to skirt around your question if that's okay <laughs> and I'm going to get straight to the main issue and it's a I find it appalling that in the UK um, hairdressers can practice without any qualification or any training and call themselves a professional hairdresser it's absolute nonsense yeah. In all the countries, kind of across the Western world, yeah. do you mean registration is there? I remember myself in the early nineties going to Australia and had to kind of resit examinations to practice as a hairdresser yeah. in Australia. 
So there are lots of challenges that are happening to the industry, but our biggest challenge that we've got is around the, ra- the lack of regulation and registration in British hairdressing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's why I was absolutely so delighted to lend my voice to the Hair and Barber's Council, uh, the Hair and Barber Council's cause around pushing for mandatory yeah. regulation and registration. You've always been involved, I think, from, from history in pushing for registration, but it's become exacerbated, hasn't it, by, as you say, Keith, that this explosion of, of wanting to go freelance is almost um, an open invitation for anybody potentially yes. set up. It, it is, and you know we are getting inundated with uh, the hairdressing industry now. Starting to take much more interest in, in registrations, you know, which would okay. come as no surprise yeah. because of the situation. Um, and I'm working very closely with government on different ways we can push this act through to get it amended, with different mechanisms other than just primary legislation. So we're looking at various things in in, in a sense of how we can actually make this happen. From my perspective, you know, I came on board what six years ago. And, you know, six years on, yes, we've made progress. There's no yeah. doubt about that, with, certainly with government and interaction with ministers and so on. But we're still not there. No. So just for the benefit of people listening, let's, can you give us a succinct couple of sentence? What is it that the Hair and Barber Council is trying to achieve with registration? What does that actually mean? It's very simple. I'll make it very simple. Obviously, yeah. it's a bit more complicated yeah. than this no. overall. But very simplistically, we hold an Act of Parliament, which is a voluntary Act of Parliament, for hairdressers and barbers can join. And basically, that gives them professional status. It gives them uh, letters they can use after their name, formally, through the Act of Parliament, and so on. What we're asking government to do, and this mm. is the simple part, really, is to amend the current Act of Parliament from voluntary to mandatory, Right. and to add beauty into the body of the Act. So anybody practising hairdressing, barbering, beauty, post when regulation comes in, will have to be trained and qualified to be able to prove that they, they, they've gone through the training process. It's also about public protection, Nikki. Mm. You, know, it, this, you know, this gets lost. I mean, it's I about know. public protection yeah. because they can go to anybody that's just you know, doing hairdressing in their kitchen. They don't, they've got no protection. They're probably not insured. Another big issue for the mm-hmm. industry, insurance. Yeah. Um, so, so, Andrew, you've been working as a hairdresser in the UK, as well as other countries, and also as an employer, I know, and mm-hmm. also on the education side in your career. Why don't people want to get registered? What is it laziness? Are we just waiting for somebody like Keith to come along and make it all happen? Or is there actually resistance to becoming registered? I, I think there is an aspect of laziness. Um, and I think it's around kind of fear sometimes that people may have trained a long time ago and then feel like their training is not relevant anymore. But that's not true because if you're qualified, then you're, you're fit for practice. Right. Um, and for the majority of people, hairdressers, you know, one of the greatest things about our industry is the majority of hairdressers do invest in education and training yeah. through the vehicles that you host and, and that you present, Nikki. Uh, but also, obviously, now kind of through kind of the internet and online kind of education. Education's so vast in choice now. So people do invest in training. And I think that's one of the biggest fears. People just feel like perhaps they're not qualified enough. Or perhaps they just don't even understand what the benefits of being a part of the council is. And, and that's yeah. part of my role, working with Keith and the rest of the council members, is to really showcase what the council's all about and the benefits of it for hairdressers of any shape and size in the UK as well. And as Keith said, we're not anti-freelance hairdressers at all. There is a place for freelance hairdressers. 
But what we are anti is unqualified hairdressers that are practicing in our beloved trade. Yes. Yeah. Can I just interject just very quickly on that? Because Andrew's got a point. I think one of the other fears, which I've tried to get across to people, but you know, obviously getting to everybody is difficult, is that people, I think, in the industry fear regulation because they think Big Brother's going to be watching them, i.e. government's going to be running it. Yeah. And they won't be. Mm. Industry will be running it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. All, yeah. All we want government to do is what I've said. That's it. So how could it work then? Or how do you see it? How, how does it work in other countries? Because I'm sure you've looked at other countries to say, right, how do we get from this to that? It, it varies from country to country, to be honest. I mean, to give you a quick example, uh, in Germany, as far as I'm aware, unless they've changed it, um, it's, it's legislated through central government, but then it's implemented through local, what we call councils or local authorities. So depending where you're going to work, you would apply to, um, you know, let's say, the Berlin area, um, to get what they call your license to practice. Right. Um, but you have to do it because it's, it's regulated from central government, but it's just the local authorities deal with it. Um, clearly, there's a lot of work to be done to prepare for it. We've done some. Um, we're embarking on a much larger consultation exercise now. Um, but it's possible. It's doable. But do we you... just need government to back us. So, sorry, so just to go on just quickly. The one thing government is concerned about, and I, I understand this and I share it, is that they're not particularly worried about anything that I've said to you, but what they are concerned about is how do you police it and how do you enforce it? Yeah. Those are the two things that they're mostly concerned about when yeah. I've talked to them. And I had a very, very long conversation with them two weeks ago about this. Yeah. So, well, wouldn't it make sense for the insurance companies to police it? I mean, that to me would be the obvious one. Why would you want to insure a business that wasn't qualified? Yeah. Is it not in their interest? Yes, and we've done a lot of work with that. I mean, our new chief policy officer, Colette Osborne, who I've been working with, I've been working with her throughout the whole pandemic, actually, but more recently she's joined us uh, at roughly the same time as Andrew joined us to sort of support me with the work we're doing with the, yeah. the government, the policy and all the rest of it. She's got very keen attention to detail. You know, she, she's very specific. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've been looking at this and you know, these are exactly the things we need to challenge, Nikki. You know, yeah. there's an awful lot mm. there that we need to look at. But it is doable. It really is. Are there countries that you can think of? And actually, maybe Germany's one that wasn't regulated and has become regulated that it's, we could follow the model of. It's or? been regulated for a long time. Has it? Yeah, it has. Um, Cyprus is is newer, if you like, um, but it's an island, so it's much easier. It's just a central thing that they've decided to do. Um, I mean, more, more I'll add to that, Nikki, as well. I I find it flabbergasting that there's this constant debate that happens in our industry around the benefits of in-salon training or salon training as opposed to further education college training. Right. Yeah, yeah. further education colleges are constantly checked by Ofsted for their standards of delivering training. Yeah. And we aren't. But private training providers. Pri- private training yeah. providers. If they're funded are. by the government. Absolutely, yeah. if they're funded but by the government. But in-house, so like training in the salon group, yeah. if you're offering your own training, you're not checked. No, no, unless not you go into a training provider. So, yeah, and, and, and that's so why... So it's completely... Doesn't make any sense in that regard. No, either. not at all, when the industry thinks that yeah. further education training isn't good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're constantly monitored by Ofsted. The other problem, of course, is the, or the advent of all these short courses. Mm. And they're causing huge problems for the sector. Mm. You know, you can go online and be a hairdresser in three months. I mean, it's right. ridiculous. Yeah. And again, I had a long conversation with Bayes about this only last week. Um, because, you know, they wanted to know what was going on. And, and that's what's happening. You know, I mean, I've known people who've gone on a nine-day course and they, they come out of it and think they're a barber. 
they've got a diploma of some kind. Yeah, and think, in yeah. some of those yeah. situations, the parents are kind of setting up salons for these people yeah. to operate yeah. on the high street as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. So no, as Keith said, it's, it's not in protection for the industry, but it's also protection for the consumer. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Is it is it possible to get the consumer to drive the demand? Would that be something? Well, uh, yes, the answer to that is yes, and we do need to get to the public more. There's no doubt about that. Um, I think with regard to that, just to give you a quick indication, um, when we launched a uh, survey uh, back end of 2017, beginning of 2018, so it's a few, few years old now, we did a, a large series of um, interviews after that. And I always remember the first one was with BBC Breakfast. And they said to me after the interview, it was only about 10 minutes, that they would give me some feedback from the listeners 24 and 48 hours afterwards. And they did. They came back to me 24 and 48 hours afterwards. And overwhelmingly, what the consumers that phoned in or emailed or whatever to sort of give their comments about the, the interview and what had happened, almost 100% were flabbergasted, horrified was the word the BBC used, because they assumed all hairdressers and barbers were trained and qualified yeah. and regulated. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they thought we were the regulator. Yeah. Although we never look at the certificates when we go in through the door, do we? I mean, I suppose we get used to seeing them in the dentist and the doctors, but yeah, yeah. I think it is. I think specifically using chemicals and processes yeah. and, and sharp so instruments. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. quite. And why should anybody be able to do that? Yeah. I mean, when there are passionate people in our industry who care so much about their training and take it really seriously. Yeah. You know, think about the apprentices that are doing the two year, three year kind of training program, either in a salon group or in further education colleges. They're passionate about becoming pros and wanting to be the best. So, why should there be this market that isn't that, that's trying to compete against us? And as Keith rightly said as well, in a lot of these situations as well, not even paying taxes. No. Yeah. And it demeans our it demeans our industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of the problems that are, are, are kicking around now have been around for decades. Yeah. A lot of it hasn't changed. I mean, when I started in hairdressing, you know, I was almost embarrassed to say I was a hairdresser because people thought, well, you never earned any money and you must be thick, otherwise you wouldn't go into hairdressing. And parents still actively now try and talk their yeah. their kids out of I going think reaching to the parents is, yeah. it's critical. It's critical because when you get to a parent and tell them the opportunities, the training, the development, and so on, without doubt, you mm. almost see a light go on in their eyes. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. So, how, how are things changing, Keith? And you've been in the industry a long time, specifically with this cause. This, uh, sorry, <laughs> it sounded a bit rude. Um, so oh, you're right. But, and so have you, Nikki. As well. <laughs> So we all. So, so we, we all. all. Yes, that's true. Well, you're, you're the Peter Pan of hairdressing. Um, but so are things shifting? Are you getting a better hearing? So let's look at the government side of okay. things. So you're in and out of the Houses of Parliament. You're, yeah. you know, um, one of the one of the positive things which appears to have come out of the last two years is that there seems to be better lines of communication between base and Definitely. the industry. Full Definitely. stop. Never mind just yourselves. And yes. I know Colette, we referenced, and yourself and other other bodies have worked very hard. Yes, they have. That seems to. Is that helping the cause for registration or the or the listening skills? It, I think it's probably helping it more for the listening because when the personal care sector was set up, which was a year in after the, 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 well, the you had the first year of the pandemic, and it was roughly February last year um, that the personal care section at Bayes was was set up. And yes, it did make a huge step forward for us because we had then a, a small group of people only about three or four that were there specifically to look after the needs of our industry and work with us to try and better it and that's worked to a degree um, to be fair as i said i have regular communications with them but what's more important 
is that I've had some direct contact a lot, lot more recently over the past three or four months actually, direct with the ministers where I've actually had one to ones on a Zoom, right? Um, where it's just been him and myself, yeah. Um, and the chair of our APPG group was was with it was with us one time, just talking specifically about regulation, yeah. specifically nothing else yeah. about regulation, and that's come along a, a long way. Now you know, so we have moved on. There's no doubt about that. Have we gone far enough? No, we have not. No. But we have we have moved a long way, and they are listening to us. They do come back to us for our, our opinions. They seek our counsel, if you like. Um, and in fact, I was on a, a Zoom with them last Thursday, I think it was, where exactly that they wanted our opinions on what was happening with apprentices. How could they help to get more apprentices in, or could we find jobs for them? Yeah. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's so, trying to get them to see it as relevant to the electorate, isn't it? You know, we need to sort of point out how many women work in hairdressing, or, or that the industry is a great employer of people who are perhaps second income earners, or yeah. Yeah. supporting families or single parents. It's, it's getting them to see it as a political it is. Uh, uh, interest to, no, to throw their hat into it. You're quite right. And when I had the last um, one-to-one with Minister Scully, Paul Scully, who's the small business minister, as you probably know. Um, it was interesting because at the end of it, I, I spoke for about 20 minutes to give him a ration, rationale of why I thought this industry needs to be regulated and regulated quickly. Um, and he listened very intently. It was a very, very relaxed interview. He took his tie off. Uh, it, was very, it was very engaging. You know, it was a, it was a really good interview. Um, so I spoke for about 20 minutes because you only get about half an hour with these guys. And um, at the end of it, I said, have you got any questions? He asked me a couple of questions. And I said, well, you know, what do you think from what we've, what we've been talking about? He said, well, he said, there's, there's two or three things we need to consider as a government. He said, number one, why does the industry need it? And he said, before you say anything, he said, you've pretty much told me that in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. He said, but the other thing is that we don't want to add any burdens or any bureaucracy to the sector. Yeah. And I said, snap, neither do I. And we don't need to do that because at the moment, nobody knows what's going on mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. Um, everybody's doing their own thing. So with mm-hmm. regulation, we can actually bring this together. We can help the government in so many ways to support us. Because it it's not just about yeah. them yeah. doing it for us, it's what we can do for them. So Andrew, what would you say to employers, maybe one salon, two salon, maybe big salon groups, who might go, oh, well, it'd be a nightmare for me for the bureaucracy and the paperwork, but also what if I then have to, if a lot of people turn out to not be qualified or not, you know, how would you try and calm the jitters um, I, I think some of the key jitters at the moment are all employers are find it difficult to get staff yeah whether it's apprentice level or whether it's stylist level so what we have to do as employers is look at the benefits of being employed by a salon where, where, however small or large that is you know I work in a company where we employ about 800 stylists um, and we've got massive kind of vacancies we're looking for stylists Mm. Um, more than we've ever been before so we have to kind of really look at what the benefits are of being employed and working in the salon environment yeah Um, you know I would encourage salon owners to think about the cost that is involved by being registered you know there is an annual cost and that could be seen as a benefit to to an employee that the employer is investing in in that stylist being in their salon so if somebody signs up, pays registration for yeah. themselves and their team, yeah. what is, what's the benefits of that now before registration kicks in? Well, the benefits are vast, including kind of being connected to kind of the wider community, being involved with kind of the only official kind of council cause that is fighting this cause. Yeah. Um, 
and you know partly you can become a master craftsman and it kind of shows as Keith said you can use initials after your name right so the the benefits are, are huge there there's yeah. many benefits there already yeah. but I think that the crisis and the issues that most employers are facing is employing people um, yeah. and there's a massive skills shortage and a numbers shortage as well yeah um, and we as employers have to look at kind of all the strings to our bow to make employment attractive yeah yeah and that includes flexible working do you mean one of the things yeah. that has changed because of the pandemic we're having to be a lot more flexible to employers yeah. of how we employ people and, yeah. and, and you know as you said you know that could be a working mum who can only do two days a week we're having to look at every single part of the practice of employment it's to me it's a bit like the profession is in crisis and one of the crises is that not enough hairdressers see it as a profession Unfortunately, there has been behaviour in the past couple of years that's been unprofessional. Mm, absolutely. You know, and we didn't want to 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 believe it, but yeah. there have been people, you know, working throughout lockdowns and yeah, people, yeah, you know, cutting corners and people seizing the opportunity. And it's kind of like we need to address that. Never mind the issue which I've always seen in hairdressing is getting hairdressers to be proud of what they do. Equally, getting people to behave in a professional way and and see that they deserve to be regarded as a profession and that therefore it needs to be regulated. Yeah, and I think we need to stop infighting as well. Fighting sounds a bit strong, but, you know, the, the, we need to unify. You see, the, yeah, the, the that's, more... that was one... Don't you think, through the whole lockdown, that was one of the arguments levelled at the industry was that we were very fragmented. Hugely, yeah. and I had that from government... Yeah, from the outside, Loads I of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why can't you all work together? Why do you say this or they say that? And when you do agree on so many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's, I've always, the only reason I took this up, Nikki, was that I want to better this industry. Yeah. There's no other rationale for me, there's no other reason for this. Um, you know, I'm not in it for personal gain or anything like that. I just want to make this industry professional so that we're regarded as a profession. Without doubt, had we been regulated, we'd have got much more support during the Absolutely. pandemic. Yeah. But there's yeah. no question. Um, I mean, how many times did you hear about hospitality and leisure until you were sick to death of hearing? Yeah, it? yeah. yeah. Because and we didn't they're regarded, fit in and that's the issue. Mm. Yeah. So unless we can get this onto a regulatory basis, mm. the industry is not going to change. And I've just said to you, I've been in it longer than either of you two, and it's not, it, the problems are still there that were there 50 years ago yeah, yeah. many of them well I think the way it is now mm. I mean the pandemic has they're just worse well, it worse and it's disguised some things but it, we were always heading towards a bit of an explosion in freelance Brexit was always going to yeah. exacerbate a recruitment problem the the you know perception of hairdressing as a valuable and honourable career has always you know struggled hasn't mm. it so it's right now it's just a perfect storm of it. it's all coming yes. at the same time and it, yeah. go, and it goes me and it goes Andrew you know yeah. we're not regarded like that yeah because yeah. it, it's not right but yeah but we've got to unify to get this sort of absolutely and, and unify as well to kind of be together on the issues that are ahead yeah do you mean full crisis the kind of lies and costs yeah. Um, the way the costs mean, are going to increase again in October. Absolutely, the way the costs have just increased again. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a recession is sure to happen. Yeah. Um, so the more unified we are as an industry, yeah. and, and the Hair and Barber Council is that cause that can unify yeah. us. Because we don't even have a union, do we? I mean, it's, we must be one of the few industries that doesn't, doesn't have any yeah. kind of... But yeah. also, what we also have, we, we have an, an industry... Um, you know, it's really hard to say this, but we have a, an industry where a lot of cash is just going directly into people's pockets yeah. and charging for service. 
and, and that can't be right because you know we we contribute to the tax system yeah um, and so should every other hairdresser in the professional industry yeah, yeah absolutely are you getting support from the non-hairdressing side of the industry as in the brands bodies you know media because i know in the past there have been there's been a difference of opinion some of the brands would sort of come out and say well, well we're not really in favor you know perhaps they felt that it was just upsetting too many of their clients to be seen to be whatever have you seen progress on that side yes yeah we have to be honest i mean obviously support comes in many ways you know we have to pay our bills so you know people sponsor us i'm very grateful for that yeah. um but people support us in lots of ways i mean to, to be specific um with the exception of one major um, um manufacturer at the moment uh, they all support us Good. um awarding bodies support us um look on our website it's got a whole host of them at the bottom so yes we are getting a lot more and interestingly a lot of them have become more interested in affiliating with us it, it probably is a good word mm. um since we've come out of the pandemic yeah well they've um, seen the work you've done during the pandemic well i hope they have but, but as, as andrew said we are the only statutory body with the industry yeah. um that's really uh, key we are the only, only statutory, statutory body within yeah. the hairdressing embalming wow. industry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, I, we are getting a lot of support, um, and you know, everybody seems to be doing a lot more supporting than let's say they were three years ago. Yeah, mm. and does it work with the hair? Because I know again in the history, there's been times that hair and barbering hasn't come together on it. There was the barber council separate at one point, wasn't there? It still is. And then there's also this sort of you know again hair and beauty together sometimes don't aren't aren't as good bedfellows as they might look on paper because mm. the, of the nature of the business and mm. sole traders and well, so on. Well, we still have the Barber Council and that feeds into our main council. So right. that's fine. In fact, we've got a really good Barber Council. You know, it, you know, some meetings you go to, some are better than others. I always enjoy the Barber Council meetings. They're, they're lively. There's a lot of very, very fierce debate. And, you know, some good issues, you know, important issues come out of it. So, yeah, that, that, that works. Um, the other thing is I've forged a lot of relationships with beauty. Uh, over the past, I suppose, three years, um, namely Babtac, yeah. um, British Beauty Council, I work quite closely with, and they want to be regulated as well. And interestingly, I was at the Babtac Awards two or three weeks ago, and one of the sessions I went into at the end, at the end of the day, um, they were calling for it very strongly. The members of Babtac were calling for regulation very strongly. Really? Yeah, within beauty, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. So, yes, yeah, so our, our, our links and our affiliates are, are strong, very strong. Mm. So what's going to make it happen? What What would you, like, so, well, Andrew, I... what would you say, right, if we could have these three things happen in the next ten minutes? What, <laughs> one of the things that's definitely going to help is people like you giving us fantastic coverage like this. Absolutely. Benjamin, taking this to the listeners. Yeah. So they understand a little bit more about it, that they realise that they can get on board. It's not a scary monster. It's not a scary machine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we salute and tribute you um, for always Thank fighting you. our cause. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the industry needs to know more about it. The more informed the industry is, then the more kind of executive choice and decision they can make. And it makes sense that um, in, a, in an industry that we're also proud of yeah that we protect that we it that. that it's only qualified people that can work in our industry yeah protection is a great word yeah it really is about protecting our industry for the future yeah. it really is yeah 
And what do you need in terms of numbers, Keith? Do you need, is it, have you been given um, you know, this idea that you've got to get a certain number of members or a certain amount of votes in the House? I don't know. How, how the, would you... the, the, well, the answer is, before, before I joined, apparently there was numbers floating around. But yeah. I have to tell you, since I've been there, nobody's mentioned this to me. However, in saying that, the more people we've got on board, the stronger the message, obviously, mm, yeah. um, because it proves that industry really wants it. All right, yeah. I've shown the minister the surveys we've done, which comes out of between, I think it was 84 and 96% in favour, depending upon the question. Um, but that was, let's say, three or four years ago now. Um, so the more we can prove industry wants it, or needs it, needs probably a better word, yeah. um, the better. So yes, obviously, the more people we've got as members or associate members or corporate members, you know, whatever, it, it boosts the numbers. Yes, of course, it proves what we need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to be qualified then, are you also then having to look at the awarding bodies to say it would be done on what, MVQs or...? We work closely with them. Yes, I mean, it is done on MVQs. I mean, clearly, at the end of the day, it's a professional register. So uh, even though it's voluntary, it's still professional. So, you know, you have to be able to prove your your, 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 your training qualifications and so on to be able to come on the register. Yeah. Um, you know, some people... Uh, as Andrew rightly said, I'm sort of qualified 30, 40 years yeah. ago, they may not have their qualifications. So we look at other ways for them to prove their, their yeah. status in the industry as well. You, you've got to be yeah. flexible to do that. Yeah, sure. Um, but we have to be very careful because if we just take anybody, then it takes away exactly what we're trying to do, which I yeah. won't do. Yeah, 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 definitely. Wow. So... Do you get involved in other conversations then as well about, um, so obviously the registration, but you touched on issues that are coming towards us like recession and recruitment. Do you have conversations with government about those things as well? Is that something you can help with? I do, we had, in fact, going back to last week, it came up last week because, you know, I'm I'm asking government to help to try and support our industry more in any way that they can. You know, the trouble is, everything. there's always something that affects it. I mean, we have Brexit. That took their mind off the, the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Then we had the recession. Sorry, the um, pandemic. That yeah. took their eye off the ball. Mm. So we constantly have to keep chasing. What, what I'm more concerned than anything about at the moment, that Mr Johnson has a reshuffle. That, yeah. that I'm not keen on <laughs> at all. Forget the politics. It means I might have to start again with start another with some minister. Yeah. yeah, and, and relationships are, are really critical. Believe me, they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, but uh, and, and Andrew, you touched on something at the beginning, which actually, let's. can I just loop back to that? You commented that when you had gone to work in Australia at one point, you had to... Do hours to show my qualifications. So I'd got all my qualifications and papers, but then I had to go back to college and do a set hours. I think it was 28 hours or something over a few weeks. To get um, the permit to, kind of, to work to there. Get the permit to and is work. that what happens still with yes. these places like yeah, Australia and America and so on? Yeah, it is. Wow. Certainly in America Oh, as well. USA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. I've been looking very close at the US lately, and it varies hugely from state to state. Um, I did know it varied, but I wasn't I wasn't aware to the degree it does, let's put it that way. Um, you know, from I'm, I'm going on memory here, but I think in Ohio, it's something like $51 a year to... Uh, technically buy your license after you've done yeah. your hours and everything yeah. else. Whereas in Alaska, I think it was $450. And the amount of hours you've got to train to get your license depends hugely state. from state yeah. to state. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. nevertheless, Andrew's quite right, every state you have yeah. to have a license to practice. Yeah. yeah. And I think also some of the um, skills like colour, I think, isn't covered by some of it, I'm not sure. Correct, they do it separately yeah, in some cases. Different, different. So is that something that in an ideal world we would also have then? So we would, if we, if, if we can get to the point of 
registration, we would then also require people to to be have permits or be allowed to work here if they travelled here from. Yeah, well, we interestingly we've been. The Act, as, as you probably know, is, is quite old. The Act was first constituted in 1964, and it's hugely out of date. I mean, yeah. in an ideal world, I'd like a new Act of Parliament, but I've looked at it very carefully with the chief librarians at uh, the Palace of Westminster that write the Acts and all the rest of it. And um, basically what they've said to me is that, you know, hang on to what you've got, because if you lose it, you might never get another one for the industry. And also, to try and get another one would take years and thousands and thousands of pounds. So stick with what you've got, which is right. why I'm looking for it to be amended. But nevertheless, because the mm. Act is written in such a way, you know, written in 1964, a lot, of, some of it I don't think applies anymore. So we've been looking, in fact, we're looking at the moment with the librarians again as to whether there's any f flexibility within the Act. In other words, do we have to say it's got to be mandatory? Um, could we say license to practice? You know, what's the, how right. we're interpreting yeah. the act is how, what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that going on at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, which whatever's the best way to do it, we'll do it. That's mm. going to be good, going to be right for the industry. But it's not about me or the hair and barber council. This is about industry. Yeah. And yeah. industry will be on board with this. I'm yeah. not saying the hair and barber council is going to do it all and be in charge. That's not what this is about. It, it will be led by industry for industry. Yeah. So call to action, let's yes. wrap this up. If you are listening to this and you are a, a sole practitioner or independent or freelancer, you can still get involved with the Hair Council? Absolutely, yes, you absolutely. Sign, you can sign yeah. up as an individual? State registration is for individuals, it's not for companies, it's not no. for salons, it's for individuals. Okay, do some salons have agreements with you? If you yes, work for a salon yes. group, is it worth asking yes. your boss? Yeah. If you've got... Yeah, they do corporate membership sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Salons. But the actual... To become state registered as a hairdresser or a barber, it's for individuals, it's not for salons. It's for, so therefore, whether you work in a salon, you're independent, provided you can prove your training, qualifications, your status within the industry, you're perfectly entitled to join the register. So you can sign up now for uh, a very um, affordable annual fee yeah. and be accredited and be able to use the letters S Officially after your name, under the Act. Yeah. Yes, it's under the Act. S yeah. State registered hairdresser. Or yeah. barber. Or senior state registered hairdresser and barber yeah. after a certain amount of time. And then you can apply for the Master Craftsman if you wanted to be have a more higher level of recognition. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Job done. I think you've said it all. Is there... Anything else we need to squeeze in there? I, I mean, I, I'll just Thank finish. You. I hope the listeners kind of understand a lot more about what the council is yeah. uh, and what its cause is. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to add another word to it. Council equals care. All council is doing is yeah. caring about the future of yeah. our industry. I think so. This has been a conversation. I've been in the hairdressing industry as a, as a journalist and an onlooker for 26 years. It's been a conversation I've heard everybody come up with their own comments on it I think it's never more relevant than it is now Correct. after the last two years yeah. as you say Keith you, we would have had a better deal without quicker doubt. without doubt if there had been this recognition and this and this system in place and I think going forwards in the short term we've got some very real problems which you will help with but also going forward to try and sort of alleviate that impact and just sort of on a very positive note grow the industry as a real profession and get everyone to be walking tall um, yeah. and really being and, proud qualified. And, qualified and qualified and proud yeah. united yeah. yeah yeah wealthy happy yeah that all sounds great <laughs> <laughs> cheers to that <laughs> thank you very much thank you keith conniford thank you andrew barton thank you very thank much you. Nikki. 
thank you to my guests, Andrew Barton and Keith Conniford. That was a really interesting conversation on so many levels and I hope you enjoyed it too. There are plenty more hairdressing conversations in the Respectfully Library located on iTunes, Spotify and other podcast providers. You're sure to find something of interest. Please do rate and review us as well as it helps to drive us up the charts and makes us easier to find. Until next time, goodbye.